0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Navigating the Work Compass. I'm Susan Chapman Hughes with here with my co host, Kate Luzio. And we have a special guest today, Cindy Di Tiberio. I know I just messed up your name again. Yep. You <laughs> right. um, so we're excited to have Cindy here. Um, as you all know, for the last couple of weeks, we've been specifically talking about the impact uh, that has happened to women. Uh, around the pandemic and just the big issues that have been happening what companies to think about. And Cindy wrote uh, what I call a flaming article that I ran across, Um, but like literally she spoke so much truth to power that we were like, we have to have her on the Mm -hmm. show, get her perspectives. And also because of what she does in her day job, she's got a unique perspective around kind of what we might see um, coming up. So she's a writer and collaborator. Who's worked in publishing for almost 20 years? She was recently appointed the publisher at Literary Mama, and her writing has appeared in The Lily, Scary Mommy, um, The Brevity Blog, and The Voices Project. Um, she was an, uh, an editor at Harper One, a division of HarperCollins, based in San Francisco, for nine years before becoming a ghostwriter, collaborating on 11 books over the last eight years. So. You can certainly learn more. We will put her website um, in the link. So you can please go and support her work. Um, But Cindy, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's so great. So um, why don't we kick off and just tell us a little bit about you. I just talked about your bio, but like, tell us about you.
1: Yeah. Um, So I live in Palo Alto, California. I am the mom of an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old. And um, so I think for me, some of the... what came from that piece was right in august of 2019 i had my youngest went to kindergarten so i had felt like i finally had both of my kids in full-time care finally and i had been doing part time work pretty much since i had my first daughter um i had tried to go back full time but i was commuting up to the city which we all know commutes and it was by train and with an infant and so for those eight years before my youngest then finally went to kindergarten i was still working and almost at a certain point taking on full-time work but i really was only allowing myself part-time child care mm a very hard few years, but I kept on saying, I'm almost there. Once they're in school, this will all be easier. (laughs) And, And so like, I was just, my eye on the prize was that finish line of my youngest in kindergarten. And I also had the interesting thing that my youngest had an August birthday, which meant she could be the youngest in her class or the oldest. So I then signed up for another year of preschool because I didn't want to just who she was and her personality. So it was like that finish line just kept on moving, moving, moving. Mm -hmm. So August of 2019, I was really, really happy. I did it. I made it. um, And finally I had some more time to work. And um, then we all know that the pandemic came and that I was really angry.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I think, look, I can certainly appreciate that. I have a, a kindergartner. And, um, I totally understand, although she's been in full day school for a while, but the pandemic came and she had to come home. Yeah. Uh, and she, her personality is not such that being at home is a good thing. She literally at one point in time told us that she was sick of us and she wanted <laughs> to her yeah. and so, daughter, so she knows that's exactly how she said it. Um, but like, you know, to the, to the extent that you're willing to share with us, like, t- like tell t- talk us through the changes, right? So, you're feeling like you're getting ready to go back. You've got it all lined up. August of 2019, Christmas comes. It's a great Christmas. You're hearing these rumblings of this thing happening in China. And then all of a sudden, March comes and boom, it all shuts down. So tell us about the process and like what was going on in your head and like what your expectations were as you were going. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we all thought, you know, again, it was going to be like a few weeks until, you know, spring break. And I remember mothers sharing like Google Docs of like, here are things to keep your kids entertained. We were trying to collaborate on like, how are we going to get through these few weeks until after spring break? And so it felt doable at first, like it's short term, but as soon as it, and there really wasn't much from the school during those weeks. It was like nothing pretty much. Right. Um, but when it became pretty clear that it was like, okay, this is longer term. And I was working on a book that had a May 1st deadline. So, and this was a book that was challenging even before the pandemic. Like it was just like <laughs> some books flow and they're easy and others, you they really struggle to be birthed. And so this was a hard one. And then you added on now. I really was trying to shift my husband and i did try and take turns so again at that point i had a kindergartner and a third grader the third grader was pretty good about handling her school stuff the kindergartner of course really needed someone there to help them log on and submit assignments and all of that stuff um and was just not motivated let's be honest yeah So we took turns for a little while, you know, I would take a shift with the kids and then, you know, my husband and I would just take turns working. My husband is a financial planner, you know, and so it's not like his job was unimportant. People like had a lot of,
2: I mean, his
1: workload probably increased during that time as people's anxieties and what should we be doing. And all of a sudden now he was recording Friday videos for his clients, like, because as a way to stay connected and talk about what was going on. So his workload actually increased. And so, um and writing is just not something you can do well with a lot of interruptions and yeah. so it was really hard to get that those like chunks of time without you know and even when they're in the house you know they're in your consciousness you can't separate you like, or or like in your
0: what video are. or in your face yeah. or yeah you know.
1: and so um <laughs> yes in your lab literally yeah yeah separate. A time when they know you're there yeah. to not just they want to physically just even have a moment to touch you and be like feel like they're okay so um so when i finished the book i mean miraculously we still made our may 1st deadline um i'm still not really sure how i did that Yay. um and, but I was like, I can't do that again um, for my own sanity, for my husband's sanity, and to think about, like, if I was going to go straight for someone else, I didn't feel like I could commit to that. So well. because I literally didn't know where my kids were going to be in the summer. Like, my yeah. guest was right next to me, you know? Right. And so, just out of reaction to all of that, I said, "Okay, I'm just not going to take on any work right now." You know, in the fall when they go back to school, I'll find another project. But for now, I'm just gonna like, I guess I'm just gonna mom. Yeah. Um. But, and I thought that that would be better for all of us. But I yeah. think just you know, again, and I think what I write about on that piece is like, why do we as mothers? feel that obligation to be the ones to like, we don't want to do it, but we do it anyway. Right. Isn't that just like motherhood, but like, why, you know, and why are our husbands not conditioned to also do that? You know? And so I think what happened is I was really unhappy and I had to come to terms with why did I sign up? myself for something that I didn't actually want, but it was like, there was no choice there. It was like, of course I will do this.
2: You know, I love that, uh, in reading your article and, uh, the, our listeners know I'm, so I'm not a mom. I'm an aunt of nine. Um, I have plenty ten. of, uh, yeah, I have 10, including P. Um, and, but I'm an employer, right. And I've managed people for my whole career. And so understanding, Situations of working mothers and working parents is part of the job of managing and leading, right? You yeah. have to know. But one of the things that struck me in uh, in your article was that no one consulted us about these new terms. They were foisted upon us overnight. And then you go on to say, to be clear, the terms of motherhood have never been great. It's always felt yeah. like an impossible job. So. As you think about, you know, sort of thinking about the the, the millions of women that have left, have taken that backseat, have sacrificed their career, whether it's short term or long term, as you think about, Cindy, employers, right, um, looking after these women, these, and I hate saying the lost women, right? Because we have the potential, not in a good way, of creating a whole generation of women that lose out on earnings potential. Um, you know, sacrifices, damaged careers because of, because of this 20 plus months that we're entering into.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think what's frustrating is that I feel like so much of our society is still, still set up like it's the 1950s and there's a wife at home to take care of the house and to pick up the kids or to drive for the field trip or whatever it is. Even our workplaces are set up like that. Like the expectation is that someone is there at home when the kids get home from school. And it shouldn't be you if you're working full time, like that you should have a nanny. And it's not the 1950s anymore. Um, We don't have little wives cooking dinner and cleaning. Like we're all trying, you know. And again, there's nothing to, there's nothing against the stay at home mom, but I think there is still this underlying sentiment in our society that. If women had the choice, if mothers had the choice and they could stay home, they, will. they would.
0: Exactly. Well, but also, I mean, look, we the reality is a, a few things. One, for women, um, just in order for families to live and, and be able to have a living wage, both parents have to work for so many yes. parents because it's so expensive. right? I mean, I, I saw these stats the other day talking about um, in order to afford a one-bedroom apartment in most average markets, you have to make at least $22 an hour and have at least 50 hours a week in order to do that. But the federal minimum wage is $7.25. And so basically you would have to work something on the upwards of 72 to 80 hours just to afford the basics. So the reality is, Um, the society that we live in has set it up such that families cannot function and or live without both parents working. But yet, to your point, there's been very little innovation and or breaking of the cycle in the system around um, what mothers are expected to do, particularly Mm -hmm. here in the United States. Now, there are some countries around the world where I think they do a better job of supporting moms through you know big challenges in their lives, providing childcare, which is like a big reason for the reason why a lot of women are stepping out. But here we are um today, and the president has a bill up that is gonna provide significant amount of dollars for child care, but yet there's all this discussion about whether or not it's valid or not. Right, right. And I and candidly, listen, this is just Susan talking, but I feel like there are a significant number of actions that are happening that are actually trying to push us back to the 50s. But yet um, the reality of the situation is if we went back to that, we still wouldn't be able to be there anyway, because most people couldn't afford to do it. Right. Right. Really, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's And to be honest, you're so right. I mean, I live in Silicon Valley. So like the cost <laughs> of living is yeah. astronomical. And and also, it also, you know, brings a certain kind of people here. And, you know, again, there's this idea that we should be okay putting our careers on hold for a certain amount of time, but we, then we see all the negative effects of that, you know, right. of those gaps in our resumes. And, you know, also motherhood is a temporary, you know, it's always going to be an identity, but like it's for a certain amount of years. And then you're not a mother anymore and you're still a woman, you like what do Still you do then, value. right? There's that identity. So we're expected to like put our other things aside while we're mothering, but then, you know, what do we do after that? And so I think there, it, it's natural that we should want to continue this trajectory of like, we have work. We've, first of all, we're also becoming mothers later. So we have careers that are really pretty robust by the time we become mothers. And that's a really different thing. And so sacrificing that feels different than it, it you know, used to sometimes i think even i thought i would just have a job i didn't even know what it was until (laughs) i became you know i didn't care but then i found this job that i loved and i was like oh gosh this is going to get complicated because i actually really love doing this kind of work and i also think there's something too and some of it is about the devaluation of caretaking but there are you know the assumption is that all mothers will love caretaking and caretaking is a skill set just like anything else, just like not every man is gonna grow up to be a professional baseball player, not every woman is going to Thrive in the caretaking setting, but we feel shame when that's the case. And I just yeah. wish there were more room for us to recognize that there are all different ways to be a mother, that it's not just like if you could, you would stay home with them until you know it's a necessary yeah. sacrifice, all that verbiage, which is still very much in our society, but it really is a detriment to the mother herself if she ends up feeling like she has to perform motherhood in a way that actually doesn't work for her. And I think that's what was going on with me is I've been performing forming motherhood in a way that was not serving me, but I couldn't even acknowledge that because it would have meant some real changes. Yeah. And it's hard to make those kinds of changes.
2: So, so can I? Um, so, Cindy, oh, sorry, I'm here a little back up. Um, one of the things that you wrote about in the article, and I think there is this, and I've heard it so much from my friends and moms, is this guilt factor, right? If I choose me, I'm not choosing my children or I'm not choosing my family. And how can I choose me? And one of the things that you said, and we're going to put the link up the article in here that you said is um, I don't see it that way anymore. I realized I let my inner patriarchy trap me into a prison of my own making. I forfeited my own right to happiness for years out of duty, out of what I thought was required. And I placed unrealistic demands on myself. To me, the mother I thought my children needed when that when what they truly needed was a role model of a woman doing what she needs for her own sanity and self. How do you balance that with this? Because that those are bold statements and I love it, right? I mean, that you're, you're telling it like it is and I applaud you for being brave and saying it because I think there are lots of working parents, moms that are, are thinking it and don't say it. How do you balance that with being the caregiver? being the, putting the needs of your children, making sure that everything is running smoothly.
1: Right. No, it's work I have to do every day because the conditioning we've learned as women is to put others first, to not pe- make people uncomfortable, to, you know, sacrifice ourselves and what we need. Um, you know, I've even heard this, I was talking with a group of mothers recently and this woman was talking about how like, you know, as as a mother, like you just, you feel like you're running out of rope, like you're at the end of your rope, but there's always more rope. And I said, is there?
0: No, <laughs> no, there really no. Is.
1: that is a lie that society would like you to.
0: Yes, do. yes, that's yes, yes. The and the only way you can get more is rope it. is if you get more help. Yes. And, and that's not, available to so many people. No, it's not but, speaking the truth today.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it's really, it's really hard to, to break down that, that issue. And so for me personally, what is still hard for me is the fact that to carve this space out for myself, to have this career that I know I want to have, to also just have time for me to have fun, to have relaxation. I have to be okay, making my children uncomfortable.
2: Mm. Yeah. Okay.
0: And
1: that's hard because yeah. we've been Don't make people uncomfortable. That's anyone, your teacher, your classmates. Like as women, we have been conditioned to not make people uncomfortable. But if we're gonna take care of ourselves, we're going to have to inconvenience others. We're gonna have to disappoint our children and that's okay. I still struggle with it. I really do because I, you know, they are used to me being around because that's what I had set up for them so nicely. And so, I mean, they also see me wanting to be a writer and they want me to be a writer and they want me to have these things, but it also, you know, they have to sacrifice a little bit too and that's okay. And I also, their girls, I want them to see me as a model.
0: Yeah.
1: I, they're yeah. learning this from me. If I do not carve out space for myself, they also will they not do it, it for themselves. Like it's generational. We've got to train them to be a different way. We want to change things at all. So I think it's about really, you've got, you're going to make people uncomfortable and that's okay.
0: Yeah, and so, you know, it's so interesting because a lot of the things that you're talking about are reinforced by the structure of how our jobs are right? Mm-hmm. The companies that we work for um, don't give the flexibility. I was talking to a CEO the other day and I was like, listen, I think that, you know, the flexibility model that you guys have put out there is interesting, but it's really not going to meet the mark because what what women need is not to be able to come to the office two or three days a week. What they really want to do, at least some some that I know, want to be able to pick their kids up from school and then work after that. Exactly. And um, Or, or drop their kids off from school and then work after that. And you know, if you have a global job, that's really difficult when you're trying to navigate time zones. But as a CEO, if you, if you're really serious about it, you're going to push the organization to really get uncomfortable and make some significant changes. Otherwise you're going to continue to see women continue to walk out the door. And he was like, well, you know, I think you you're, you've got a good point. He was like, but you know, like, you know, I've talked to my wife about it and she doesn't really like, you know, reflect that. And I was like, yeah, but your wife doesn't work. So I'm not saying all of them are like that, but you know, for him, I was like, look, your your wife doesn't work. So her perspective is always going to be different than the senior women, particularly who are in your business, and more yeah. importantly, the junior women in your business who don't have as much power and don't have as much voice. So if you, you know, kind of take a step back, and this is like kind of putting your writer and because I know you're scanning the marketplace. If you if you were to give advice to some of these companies around how to create this space so that you can be this mom that you want, and it isn't just about being a mom. Sometimes it's about being a caregiver as well, right? Because right. a lot of us are in the middle, right? What, what would you give us? Like, what would you tell them?
1: I mean, I think it has to come from the top down, in terms of normalizing that there are things outside of work that need your attention just as much as your many work tasks. And so, you know, I think so often the people who are at the upper levels, they have the structures of care around them that it could look like they have no one to care for, right? Mm-hmm. But if you can normalize, and in some ways, I was hopeful that the pandemic and the work from home would kind of equalize things, right? Because everybody had kids at home. Every No one had nannies for a while, right? Like Perfect. everyone had those constant interruptions. And in some ways you could see that as bad. I actually think the more that leaders in the company, whether they're mothers or fathers, can show their employees that they also, oh, I've got to pop out. I yeah. can't lose it this afternoon. There's a Role special modeling. soccer game. We, we just have to normalize that we yeah. have other things than work during the workday that need our attention. Um, I think that would go really far. That's not policy-wise. It just means show it, show the yeah. other things on your plate. Don't hide it. Um, and be honest when, you know, oh, well, then be, be honest about the structures that you have that other people maybe don't. We, we are so secretive about our own, like little what keeps it all working, who we That's hire, true. all those kinds of things are really hidden and we could go into why that is, but, but I think if you could just show as an example, I've got a kid and I'm gonna go prioritize caring for them even in the middle of the workday, that allows others to feel like and, they can do that too.
2: And I think, and I would add, I think, and and I had this conversation with my mom actually this weekend. As someone who you know graduated high school and college in the '60s, right, was a teacher, had a very different schedule, didn't have an iPhone or a BlackBerry. You know, had set hours, was home to, at night, was home on holidays, home the whole summer but the the conversation was also, how do you create, not create haves and half nots, right? So I'm not a caregiver, meaning I don't have a child, right? But I wanna have the same level of flexibility and that what if I have something to do? What if I'm watching my niece or nephew? What if I have animals? Like, so as companies and cultures, we have to build in this dialogue that it's not just about one, it's all of us, right? Have Mm -hmm. lives that we're managing things and that, we've got to create workplaces and policies that work for all versus work for one. And what that one has always been. And we don't, we don't, we're not disparaging them has been the typical white man. Yeah. Right. And so we've got to evolve. Um, and I know Susan, we've only got about two minutes left, but um, I'll turn <laughs> it back over to you and Cindy. This always goes by so fast.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, we, can, we can go a little bit longer because people are always like screaming at us about like being longer anyway. But um, I, I just, Also, like, are there any books or articles or thought pieces out there that you would say, hey, look, you know what, you're sitting there, you feel like you're struggling. In addition to reading your article, what else would you suggest people take a look at?
1: Yeah. Um, So what I think is really interesting is there, I'm sorry, there is this whole um, kind of mom rage moment happening. um, Because, I mean, like me, women were angry with what was happening. Um, So there's phenomenal article by Minna Dubin about Mom Rage from the New York Times, you probably read it. It actually came out before the pandemic and then they released it again in the pandemic and it, you know, went crazy. Um, I think there's something really, and Tamron Hall actually had her on and it talked about this concept. I think it's really, what I think is great is that people are being honest and open about the hardships of motherhood in a way that maybe hasn't been before. And so I think there's actually gonna be a slate of books about the realities of new motherhood, uh, new motherhood, uh, young motherhood, all kind working motherhood. Um, and so I think there's a truth telling moment going on. Mm-hmm. And what I think is wonderful about that is that when you didn't see other people reflecting your own feelings, you felt really isolated and like that there was something wrong with you. And now we're all just coming together to be like, hey, you're not alone. Part and parcel of motherhood is feeling absolutely erased, like you have no space for yourself. Um, It doesn't have to be this way let's join together and you know change the terms i really do think we can change the terms of motherhood they don't have to be as impossible as they have been for so long um we have to bring them delight and we have to be not afraid about sharing our truth and yeah people are going to judge you no matter what but there are going to be for every person that judges judges you there are going to be 10 more that are like yes me too thank you for saying that
0: yeah and i think you know as a bookend There are certainly a lot of women who are in positions of power and it, you know, like you got to take a stand. If you're not setting the example, you're waiting for other people to do it, then, you know, candidly shame on you, right? Um, At some point in time, I think um, companies, particularly in the next 12 months, are going to continue to realize the emotional and mental strain that employees have been under in this kind of like push to get back to the office, it's already like some of the things that are happening is obviously the great resignation and others. But, uh, you know, from a performance standpoint, some people are really going to be at their breaking point, and it's not going to be solved by just saying, hey, you can call your EAP plan and get some therapy, like it really is going to require structural change um, in the office. Um, any last words you want to share with us? I mean, it's been a fantastic conversation. I yeah. know we sit here and talk. I've been
2: sharing, awesome. Susan. I've been sharing. I've been sharing Cindy's link to her, her recent article. Many more um, Minna's that that uh, that Cindy just alluded to, and also um, where to find more about Cindy. But any last comments, Cindy?
1: No, I mean, I just you know, I I, I want more women talking about this, and and I think we can come together and just say let's not go back to the way it was because it wasn't actually working. So we have an opportunity. I just don't wanna lose the opportunity in the rush to get back to the office or whatever. We can re like, hey, how much of the workforce are we? We can reset things. Like we can say, "Uh uh-uh, not doing that.
2: Let's figure out
1: something else. So I just hope we own our power right now.
2: Susan, I think this is a a whole session at Luminary we've gotta bring uh, Cindy back for. Because I think the power of your the our voices is most important. Cindy, you have an incredible voice, and we were so lucky to have you. I'll let you bring it home, Susan.
0: Yeah. So listen, thank you for joining us, Cindy. This has been an awesome conversation. Thank you for answering all my calls and my uh, craziness to get you on. I think it was everybody's going to be so excited about hearing this conversation because mostly I think people are going to say, "I'm not alone," and I think that is a great first step for, for people as they move forward. So. Next week, we will be back at 12 o'clock noon Eastern with Navigating the Work Compass. As you all know, we will continue these conversations. There are a lot of things that happened this past week. We didn't get a chance to do our recap, but we will bring those to the forefront next week because I think we're continuing to hear some very interesting things in in the workplace that we want to make sure that you all are up on. So thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week.
2: Stay safe, everyone. Thanks, Cindy. Thank you.